One thing you can count on in these uncertain times is the registry's grounded and informed news coverage of everything real estate. We are able to deliver the reliable and in-depth news you trust because of generous readers who support our work. Thank you to your commitment to journalism, especially now. And if you're not a subscriber yet, you can join us at the registryps.com. Today, we are joined by Matt McGregor and Bill Condon of Colliers in Seattle. Bill Condon is the managing director of Colliers in the Seattle office. He serves as an industrial specialist focused on representing tenants across the United States and abroad. In addition, Bill also oversees the Collier Seattle office. He has experience negotiating a variety of complex real estate transactions, including warehousing, corporate headquarters, manufacturing plants, and national distribution and logistics facilities. Matt McGregor is an executive vice president at Colliers in Seattle, where he specializes in representing industrial tenants across the United States and abroad. Having been involved in hundreds of transactions totaling more than 47 million square feet throughout his career, he has unparalleled corporate experience in industrial commercial real estate. His wide array of past and present customers includes a list of blue chip clients such as Shutterfly, O'Reilly Automotive, Amazon, Principal Global Investors, Prologis, Clarion, and DCT Industrial. Bill, Matt, good morning. How are you guys? Good morning. Excellent. Thank you very much for having us on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're excited. Absolutely, absolutely. Happy to have you. Uh, where are you guys? Are you uh, both working from home, sheltering in place? Yeah, I. Uh, this is Bill. I'm in uh, my backyard right now, avoiding uh, <laughs> my four kids. So, um, <laughs> fortunately, the weather's been good in Seattle. And but yeah, we. I've been working from home, um, and working working from outside quite a bit actually. Great. Yes, and I've I've gone down uh, 53 floors into my basement uh, from from uh, two union, uh, so now I'm working in the high traffic area of my uh, downstairs rec room, which is the the path uh, that the dogs go to the the backyard. So occasionally there's there's a whole lot of ra- racket as they transition from the house to the backyard. Uh, so my apologies if you hear hear that during the during the podcast. Yeah, no worries, no worries. I think we're all doing our best uh, considering the circumstances here. Um, so Bill and Matt, you both are with uh, Colliers in uh, Seattle. Um, give us a little bit of an overview of uh, your roles at the company, and uh, you know how broadly the company covers the region. Yeah, yeah, no, happy to. Um, well, first of all, we love Colliers. We um, um, love being here. It, it's an interesting story, kind of how we came together. We we started out uh, both in the business about fi- about 15, 16 years ago. I was at Collier's. Matt was at Cushman, so we were competitors against one uh, against each other. And I got sick of losing business to him. Uh, and so about five years into it, I convinced him to uh, to partner up, and and we've been partners uh, ever since. And so we're based in in our uh, Seattle office. We have. Um, a great team uh, with Bob Santucci, Jack Murphy, Bethany Henderson, and Sydney Hilton. Um, we're all focused on industrial in the you know, greater Northwest area. We represent um, institutional landlords. We have about 10 million square feet of product. We do investment sales um, for that type of product. And then uh, we do local large tenant representation and uh, national tenant rep as well. And so the model uh, works really well for us and, um, in Seattle, we have about 
30 brokers that specialize in, you know, industrial or office or multifamily primarily. Great, great. And um, so um, I suspect for you, 2019 was uh, relatively successful. I, I believe for most people in the industry, it was. Um, tell us a little bit about sort of where things were in December of 2019 and what your perspective on 2020 at that point in time was. Sure. I, I'd say, yeah, 2019 was a great year for us, a great year for the industry, a great year for our team and company. Um, it, was, it was interesting, you know, ending the year, um, I think our office had a record year, certainly our team did. And then December, Bill mentioned we do capital market sales and, and we did, um, you know, we led the industry in sales and in volume of sales in 2019. And certainly December was unbelievable for a combination of reasons, combination of just a lot of capital out there trying to, uh, you know, acquire in one of the top markets being Seattle. And then uh, Washington had implemented an increase, a substantial increase in the excise tax, raising it about 200 basis points. Right. Um, that would have started then, of course, January 1. And so a lot of transactions that would have trickled into Q1, Q2 of 2020 jammed into uh, December, making December, you know, a, a record on you know, capital markets at just under six, or sorry, just over 600 million in the month of December, which is an interesting number because that's about uh, 30,000 higher than our total annual average, uh, which is about 570 million. Um, so we did more than our, our average just in the month of December. And so going to what we thought of what 2020 was going to look like, certainly after you know three unbelievable years, uh, two back to back at 1.5 billion, so over 2x our annual average uh, number of dispositions on on the industrial side. We really thought uh, the combination of those two years plus uh, the jam of all the transactions into December, we really thought that it was going to be a quiet um, first two quarters and overall a quieter 2020 um, after a, a long run on the on the um, on the capital market side, you know, we obviously didn't anticipate the rest of the slowdown, but we thought it would be a little bit quieter of year. We've we've had quite a run. We had four straight years of huge rent growth, averaging about eight percent a year on the industrial side. So we've been on a long uh, upward trajectory. So uh, you know, certainly a slowdown w was not hard to predict. But right. you know, obviously, it wasn't. Uh, we weren't predicting COVID. Right. <laughs> and and I have to be honest. Uh, so much has happened since January. I totally forgot about that crazy December uh, month, which just saw a, a tremendous amount of transactions happen. I mean, across all sectors. Um, but it sounds like you made your numbers for the year. So um, uh, uh, maybe, uh, you know, I, I don't think anybody anticipated to be this this low uh, going going forward. So so um, March hits, obviously, and, um, you know, the world comes to to a really new kind of phase in 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 life and everything else. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what what happened um, you know, maybe first with, you know, Collier's, you know, is there something, you know, that your company sort of did right away? And then overall in the market, kind of what are some of the things that you were able to observe? Yeah, I think, um, you know, first of all, from a company standpoint, like all companies, you're trying to be as responsible as you can um, for investors, but, but most importantly, do the best you can to take care of your people. Um, and so we were, you know, as a company really trying to um, do what's right and, and um, you know, take care of our people, make sure that people stay healthy 
and uh, and that we just communicate on a very regular basis. Um, you know, it's interesting because March hits, and when you look at the the, the, the kind of the different sectors and, and what's happened since then, um, you know, the office world obviously greatly impacted. Um, the hotel industry greatly impacted multifamily for sure. Um, but on the industrial side, when you look at it, um, with e-commerce and, and that trend continuing to, um, you know, even further develop um, and more people jumping on board with e-commerce because of all this, um, you know, industrial is actually in a relatively, at all the food groups, good position, um, you know, once we once we get back to our kind of new normal. So um, a lot has changed. A lot of people, you know, obviously, you know, everyone's working from home and adjusting to, to all of this, but we're having multiple calls a day with, with, you know, our clients, institutional landlords and tenants and, and we're just taking the approach of, Hey, we need to be a resource and, uh, and, and basically on calls all day, uh, trying to be a resource to all of our clients. Yeah. It certainly does appear like industrial will be one of the sectors that bounces back maybe faster than some of the others. Um, given how everything is now moving towards some form of, uh, you know, home delivery, um, are, are, what what are some of the you know trends that you are identifying you know aside from that one that are you know giving you a sense of uh, where where things really are? Sure, yeah, the industrial um, you know outside of the e- obvious e-commerce growth, so we're we're going to see that across the board just a shift from you know big box online uh, or big box retailers to online retailers we're going to see tremendous growth there but the other segments are and we're all working from home so you can kind of see it um obviously you know the grocery you know industry has has had a boom has had had a pickup uh you know a shift away from restaurants you know less eating out obviously and and a lot more um you know grocery driven uh, across the board, whether that's Costco, whether that's you know Amazon Fresh, uh, you know home deliveries, across the board we've seen uh, you know big growth in in food, uh, and then a couple of unexpected ones. I don't know you know if you have if you notice the recycling bins are, around the houses are a little bit more filled with the wine bottles, <laughs> but there's been a a big uptick as as it always happens in downturns in uh, in, in in beverage consumption. So certainly there's you know a big boom there. And then I don't know if you notice, you know, walking your dog or or whatnot, um, but a big boom in uh, in gardening and 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 outdoor activities uh, in your yard. And so um, we've seen a big uptick in uh, the need for everything from you know fertilizers to you know plant everything, and obviously that needs a warehouse space. So a lot more home improvement uh, type things as as people are doing a lot of, of home projects. And so we're seeing booms across all of those industries. Yeah. Yeah, and I would add to that, um, to what Matt just, just indicated, that we're going to, you know, talking with our, we're very close with our West Coast industrial team. Uh, we have some just uh, great teammates up and down the West Coast, and we're, we're communicating on a regular basis. And one of the things that that we've noticed across the West Coast is that a lot of the kind of smaller deals, mid-sized deals, are kind of in wait-and-see mode, on hold, pushing the pause button. Whereas the larger deals um, appear to be on track still, so I think that's a good sign um, from an absorption standpoint that it, it appears that a lot of these larger deals are still on track to to take place. Yeah, that 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 is interesting. There's been um, a number of stories I think across the world about you know now some. Um, you know, warehouse workers getting sick and things like that. Are are you um, seeing a trend of sort of 
automation, you know, further taking um, a foothold in in this uh, side of the industry, and then if if that does happen, um, what does that mean for the you know physical space itself, and and also for the technology that then goes in inside um, inside these these new warehouses? Yeah, the, I mean, the U.S. was certainly behind on believe it or not, on, yeah, because we behind on online um, ordering. Um, Statistically speaking, and I say believe it or not because, you know, we all go home and see Amazon boxes on our doorstep, what seems like every day. Uh, but in 2019, the U.S. Uh, total consumption of uh, retail um, products, only 11% were online. So brick and mortar still um, was dominant. And if you compare that to the same period, uh, 2019, you know, China and Korea combined for 44%. So wow. they so the US had 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 a long way to go and was way behind um, from that perspective. So that growth is going to be tremendous um, and I think you know the growth that would have happened say in the next 3 or 4 years um, of people converting to online um, delivery um, is, is going to happen in 2020. So I think we're just because we're we're, we're all forced to do it. Um, you know, my parents are getting groceries online, which uh, just I don't think it would have maybe ever happened in their their lifetime had this not happened. So I think a lot of people are going to get used to it, and a lot of people are going to prefer it. And um, and so going to your question of how companies are converting, it's a little bit early. I think a lot of companies are are doing a lot of research going. Okay, how are we going to convert this, um, you know, to online sales? So we're going to see a massive transition in companies studying, you know, robotics and studying um, how Amazon and other successful online fulfillment companies are are operating this. So you're going to see a big, big boom in that and a transition for even the smallest of companies um, uh, to how to handle um, home delivery as uh, you know as a primary resource of delivery now. Yeah, makes sense. Um, there, there was one um, uh, item that kind of caught our eye in the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, regarding Prologis, and I don't know if you guys work with them, you know, directly. So, you know, feel free to, you know, tell us if this is something that you can or cannot comment. But um, they had announced that they had paused all of their speculative development across the globe. Do, do you um, have any sense whether that's sort of just a temporary pause until kind of things normalize or or are they seeing something that maybe the rest of the industry is not? Uh, they're a great company. We do work with them. They're one of our better clients. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think it's, they're probably, I saw that too, but I think it's probably, probably a temporary thing um, would be my best guess until things um, get back to normal. Um, but they're in such a great position. You know, they have, they, they are such, you know, they're by far the biggest player uh, in our industry and have wonderful leadership that are not only really bright, but um, they do a great job of taking care of, of their people. So I think personally that, that they will, this is a temporary hold and, and, you know, they'll be back at it here once things normalize a little bit. Yeah, they're super sophisticated, and obviously, it, it, just my opinion. I, I haven't talked directly about the about, but I about this topic with them. But I agree with Bill that um, you know I think a lot of companies, not just Prologis, you know, temporarily push pause to say, okay, is there going to be a reset of land prices? Is there going to be some you know change, and if so, how much? 
in rental rates um, so that they're redoing performance. So I think it was a temporary pause to reset the performance to understand, okay, well, now what are the returns going to be on this particular um, um, speculative building uh, now with this reset? So I, I think that was probably a smart move to understand how long is this going to go on, what are the repercussions. You know, the last thing a company like that wants is a bunch of empty buildings um, and or buildings that were, um, you know, on – forecasted to have you know a rent that may or may not be able to be achieved uh, you know in the in the short run so I think that was a smart pause to to fully assess um, you know what what the end game related with the changes that COVID-19 are bringing are going to be yeah makes sense makes sense um, let's turn to um, you know maybe some uh, you know Outcomes and maybe positive. I, you know, there's been a lot of stories about the, you know, negative impact of COVID-19 on the industry and just on on everything in life. But I do want to uh, make sure that you know we have an eye on the future and and you know the next cycle and and what that means. Um, uh, the you know greatest companies are the ones who I think persevere through cycles like these and innovate and try to find sort of new ways to stay. You know, relevant. Um, are, are are there any anecdotes and things that you guys are seeing out there that that is uh, you know showcasing um, what what some of these moves might be? Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, as you point out, uh, during these type of things is when you see great innovation and you see great minds and great companies excel uh, during depressions, recessions, wars. Um, so. You know, we're we're going to see a lot of innovation. We think this year, and certainly there's a lot of companies studying nearshoring, onshoring, um, and diversification related with manufacturing locations. Maybe you know away from China and or just not having all the eggs in one basket. And so I think you're going to see a complete shift of the supply chain um, over the next you know couple of years, and you and you you will see. Um, manufacturing to some degree coming back. Now, you know, I don't think we're going to be manufacturing all the simple little things, but I think some of the stuff that that is more, um, uh, you know, medical supplies, things like that. Certainly, pharmaceuticals. I would not be surprised at all to see manufacturing nearshoring or onshoring, um, and you're seeing companies, you know, now. Uh, taking a very, very hard look at that. And so I would predict that the innovation is going to come in um, very high-tech manufacturing sector over the coming uh, next couple of years and, 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 and a reset of that supply chain to where, um, you know, it, it's going to be here in the United States and or South America and diversified across the globe in different countries. Great, great. And then more locally, uh, do you see uh, the sector expanding maybe into some new geographies? Um, I I live in the sort of northern northern part of the region, just uh, south of Everett, north of Seattle. Um, I have noticed that you know around Payne Field, there's been a lot of industrial kind of activity recently. Are you likewise seeing kind of other maybe non traditional parts of the region um, expanding in this sector? Yeah, we, we've definitely seen that. And, and really, over the last 12 months, we've really seen it. Um, you know, when you look at markets like DuPont and Lacey and Fredrickson, those markets were the majority of our absorption over the past 12 months. And, you, you know, two, three years ago, those were considered very, very secondary markets. Um, and so what's happened is 
you know, call it Seattle through Tacoma, has really been built out for the most part. And a lot of those larger tenants uh, that we talked about earlier that are active and still doing deals have pushed into those, you know, secondary markets, Lacey DuPont and, and Fredrickson and done large, large transactions there. Um, and so, yeah, we definitely see that continuing. You know, those markets are becoming more and more core, it seems like, each month. And, and given the, the deal velocity of large tenants in the marketplace, you know, we would expect those markets to continue to see good activity. Great, great. Dan, uh, I, yeah, Matt, sorry, please. To add, add to that, I, I would say that you're going to see, um, and probably what you, you've seen up in Everett is certainly, again, you, uh, new fulfillment centers coming up there because uh, you're going to continue to see smaller um, same-day or next-day delivery-type facilities in the dense population areas that, that, that need to be in with a lot of rooftops within a, you know, call it a one- to five-mile radius, and then some of the bigger box distribution, uh, as Bill pointed out, in the very, very South Valley, Fredrickson, DuPont, Lacey, um, and even south of that, you'll see the bigger boxes that are more regional distribution Hub. So that's the growth that you've seen up in um, in your community, as you noted, and that you'll continue to see that growth because um, you know trying to get something uh, in the in the valley, say out of Sumner, or the Kent area, up into you know Mount Vernon and and uh, and Snohomish County areas is is difficult because of the traffic patterns, and so you're going to see more and more uh, pockets of those smaller fulfillment um, centers open up in the neighborhoods in and around uh, the out, outskirts of Seattle. Yeah, makes sense. Um, uh, before we kind of wrap it up, um, one of the questions that I would love to ask you guys um, is: What are some of the lessons learned from the from the last recession that that you know are applicable now that you know you see people uh, employing that you know you guys are also employing? Um, any insights for uh, folks in the industry that uh, they can learn from? Yeah, I think you're, you're, you saw a lot more conservatism this time around, at the, you know, nearing the end of the cycle. The last couple of years, as people have been going, gosh, this has been a long run, I think the developers were very, very careful this time, where I think last time they were just running and building and thinking, gosh, this is going to be a lot longer of a cycle, where... Um, and, and then they ran into a situation where when, when the recession did hit, there was a lot of empty buildings um, and a lot of people had a lot you know, larger debt loads than I think they have today where companies were more, I feel like the developers uh, and landlords were a lot better prepared this time, um, almost you know, expecting it over the last couple of years that, that, that there was going to be a slowdown. And I don't think the debt loads were nearly as much. I don't think we have as much speculative building sitting. Um, they were just a lot more careful. And so our vacancy rate is um, uh, has, has been growing, but, it, but I think at a much slower rate than it did in, in the last recession. And again, you have a lot of companies sitting on large amounts of capital that, um, that I think last time around was, was large amounts of debt. Yeah, and I would add, uh, that's a really good point, Matt. I think the other thing I would add to that is you saw a lot of institutional investors really, really focus on core markets um, and, and pay up for, for stability in those core markets rather than um, you know chasing a deal with a better return in a secondary market. I think that um, you know the safety of being in a 
good core market with great fundamentals um, was something that a lot more investors focused on and were willing to pay for um, just to make sure that they were protected in the event of a downturn. Yeah, that, that certainly uh, makes sense. So as a company, you guys have also been uh, providing uh, a number of resources for your clients and uh, the industry. Um, you guys also started your own podcast. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about sort of that effort and where can people find it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's in Industrial Advisors. Uh, you can find it on Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts and our website, industrialadvisors.com. Uh, and really, uh, we started this uh, in 2019, I think, uh, October, November of 19. I think we're on our 16th or 17th recording. We just recorded one yesterday. And really, the focus is to help our clients, um, uh, tenants, industrial landlords, investors, uh, understand our market, understand the trends, uh, we even have some topics to help brokers, whether you're just getting in the industry or, or you're a savvy veteran um, looking to reinvent yourself. Um, it's really all things industrial uh, to help um, clients and, and, and um, investors understand our market um, on a weekly basis. So we record, I would say, three sessions a month. Uh, um, and um, gosh, it's been a great, great success. We've seen a lot of growth, and, and it's amazing. Um, how many hits we've had around the world, people pinging us. I, I just never would have thought um, that we would have had the coverage so quickly that we got on it. So it's been a lot of fun. Uh, Bill's a phenomenal host on it. It's, it's been a lot of fun to do uh, with him. And then it's uh, it's been uh, an interesting conversion uh, recording it from home as opposed to doing it live in, in the studio. Um, so it's been a fun project for us and, and one that certainly uh, branded our team and company well. Great. Great. Um, awesome. Well, uh, Bill and Matt, thank you both very much for um, your time and your feedback. Um, stay safe, and we'll be in touch soon. Yeah, thank thanks you very much for having us. Thanks for the opportunity. You guys do a great job in the industry as well, so keep, up, keep it up on your end, and uh, we'll be talking soon. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Yep. Thanks so thank much. You.